seeing, but Lord, that we would daily walk closer with you. Lord, we thank you that you draw us in to walk closer with you. And Lord, when we veer to the right or to the left, Lord, you're so kind to bring us back. So, but thank you for your abiding, never-ending, steadfast love. Just pray that, um, Lord, your grace would be upon us and we would learn from your word and that, Father, you would speak to us in the spirit and our ears would hear and our eyes would see. Um, Father, we pray that you would bless our tithe and our offering, everything that you call us to give to you, Lord, that we would um, gladly, sacrificially give. Lord, knowing that you take care of every need, knowing that, um, Lord, your kingdom is what matters and what lasts. Lord, we just pray that our dollars would be put in the right place and that you would multiply that and continue to do your work here among us, God. So, Father, we just love you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good evening. It's so good to be with you. Um, it might be like a little noisier than normal. We have all of our, our young kids in here with us today, so that's all right. I'll just talk really loud and drown it out. So, um, But it's all, it's all good. It's good to be with you. And thank you so much to Kate and to Alicia um, for putting together our children's ministry um, Sunday school. So that's exciting. Yeah, no, we can clap for that. That was a lot of work for them. So we're so excited just to have a a time for our kids before service to uh, just learn about Jesus on their level. So that was so big. So thank you guys so much. Um, so this morning or evening, I still say morning, this evening, um, I want to do something slightly different. Um, periodically, I like to um, remind us of who we are as a church and what we're called to do. Right? So it's the, it's the beginning of a new year. And what do people do at the beginning of, of a new year? They make these goals, right? And you make these goals because you stopped doing what you were supposed to do, right? You stopped eating well. You stopped improving in that craft or hobby. You, you didn't build that back porch you said you were going to build. All the things that we say we're going to do, we don't do them. And, and we, 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 you know, try our best to improve Friends, that's that much more important on a spiritual level um, because you and I, we are called to follow Christ and the work of the lo local church is the work of eternity. It's what lasts. And so, um, unfortunately, uh, we are not free as followers of Jesus from mission drift um, in our hearts and minds. We have a really uh, terrible way, don't we, as followers of Jesus, of getting comfortable in life, getting comfortable in church, and just kind of going through the motions, and we forget what is it all really about. So I just want to walk through with you a verse, um, a passage that I've preached probably three or four times since we've been together as a church in the last three or four years. I never look back at how I preached it previously. I end up saying the same things, but I think in slightly different ways. Because we need to hear the same thing in slightly different ways to be reminded of who we are and how God is using us and calling us um, to go about the work of being the local church. I'm going to be in Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20, if you want to turn there with me um, in your Bibles, if you have one. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20.
It says, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You could imagine for these disciples their disillusionment. Uh, They had been following Jesus around for three years, and this Jesus had been uh, performing miracles. He had been raising the dead. He had been teaching in a way that was authoritative, in a way that no other religious leader taught. And they think that this is is going to be um, the pinnacle of Israel's life as a nation, and it was, not in the way they hoped, right? Because Israel was hoping for this king to come and set up this earthly kingdom, and that's not what Jesus did. And they're confused, they're discouraged, they're feeling hopeless and afraid because Jesus, who they thought was the Messiah, He's died. And there's a lot of confusion for them, and they're scared, and they don't understand. But lo and behold, Jesus raises from the dead. Jesus was always doing exactly what he said he would do. And Mary and Mary Magdalene, they see the angel. The angel says, tell the disciples to go up to Galilee. So they travel 100 miles up. Think about how many things are going through your mind traveling from Jerusalem north 100 miles up to Galilee. There's no flights to Galilee. There's no trains to Galilee. They're probably walking. Maybe they have, you know, some sort of, you know, donkey or something to travel on. So this is a long ride back. And Jesus says we're going to meet him in Galilee. And all of a sudden, everything that they thought had fallen apart, um, it's, it's just as it should be. And they're worshiping Jesus, realizing God always knows what God's doing. God always does exactly what He says He's going to do. He's going to do it the way He says He's going to do it. And God's going to get the glory for it. Jesus came and He said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. All authority. Now Jesus had authority before He came to earth as the pre-incarnate Son of God. Um, We read in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made. So Jesus says plainly, I made everything. Jesus said to the religious leaders, before your father Abraham was, I am. So that's a huge thing for Jesus to say that I am. Because he's saying I am equal with, with the God of the Hebrews who you worshipped. So Jesus is saying I am, I am Lord of all Creatures, inanimate objects, and Jesus proved that, didn't He? Through the way that He did miracles and He healed blind people and He produced food out of nothing. Jesus showed over and over and over and over again in His life that He was 
God. But Jesus is talking about an even greater authority that he has that no one else has. And Jesus has this authority because he, according to the will of the Father, came as a babe, which we just celebrated at Christmas time, right? Jesus lived this perfect life, fulfilled the law of God that no one else could fulfill. And then Jesus died a sacrificial death, bearing the sins of many, and so was resurrected from the dead. Paul says in Romans 14, to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. And there's that very popular Philippians passage. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Why does Paul tell us that? Because Jesus conquered sin. Jesus conquered death. Jesus is the one man that Satan could not get the best of. Jesus is the better Adam. He's the better Adam. Go back to the garden. And what was Adam supposed to do? He was supposed to have perfect fellowship with God the Father and with the Trinity. He was supposed to have this perfect relationship with him, and he did. He was supposed to have this perfect relationship with his wife. And all people who were supposed to come after Adam and Eve could have perfect fellowship. And then Adam and Eve had, had the gift of themselves. They had the mirrored image of God on them perfectly. And the created world was to their enjoyment to remind them of the goodness and glory of God. But Adam lost all that, didn't he? When Adam and Eve chose to sin, their relationship with the Father was ruined. The image of God on themselves was marred. It introduced hate and dissension between human relationships. And of course, the created world, it's marred and it's broken and it's fallen. But Jesus comes as a baby and he grows up to be a man and he dies a murderer's death, but he's resurrected Lord and King, the scriptures tell us, of the first fruits of a new creation. So when Jesus comes up out of the ground, Jesus represents a new creation that's coming. And in this new creation, this new world that's to come, those who are in Christ, this one man who's overcome sin and death in the fall, they can't again have perfect relationship with God. They can't again have the image of God restored on themselves. They will have perfect fellowship with other people and they will be in God's new heavens and new earth. And that's everything that you and I are learning about in the book of Revelation. So you see how Jesus comes and Jesus establishes a new and a better kingdom that the first Adam never could. Jesus has been reigning ever since he re was resurrected and ascended into heaven. Jesus, since his resurrection, has been advancing his kingdom. But I want you to catch this. I want you to catch this. Just like Jesus' crucifixion seemed to indicate this is a weak man, Jesus' means for establishing his church seem like he's weak. How could Jesus be the Son of God if he would get up on a cross? That was for like the worst criminal. Of course Jesus was a phony. He got crucified. Yet that was God's means for how he would save us. The cross 
was a form of weakness in which Christ died but was resurrected powerful. And in the same way, we say, well, that king, that, that Messiah, he must have a really effective means for advancing his kingdom on earth. And it's like, not really. I mean, it doesn't seem like it because you know what Jesus' means for advancing his kingdom on earth is? Take a look in the mirror, friends. It's you. It's me. It's every local church all over the globe. That is strictly and only God's plan to advance His kingdom. That's it. There's no plan B. It's the local church. You and I were these little outposts of heaven. We're, we're citizens recruiting citizens of this fallen kingdom to switch their allegiance to the Prince of Light. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, Christ was reconciling us to God. And He wasn't counting our trespasses against us. And what He gave you and I was the message of reconciliation. We are, Paul says, ambassadors for Christ. We're ambassadors for Christ. So that means as impotent as you feel, as ill-equipped as you feel, as hopeless as you feel, you definitely are God's game plan for advancing His kingdom. And if we're going to go off Jesus' past record, He's pretty good at pulling off whatever He does, even at the moment you think He doesn't know what He's doing. Jesus' game plan of advancing His kingdom, setting up His kingdom through the local church, it will work because it's God's plan. And friends, I think we don't spend enough time worshiping God to know even in the worst parts of life, in the darkest valleys, or when we feel like abject failures as Christians, or we don't feel like we're seeing our church do the thing we want to see our church do, there's no reason to fear because Jesus will accomplish it through us. And we can worship Him for what He is doing through us, not what we're doing for Him. So what is the business of the local church then? How do we do that? How do we do that? One way, just this one thing. You and I are called to make disciples. And that's it. That's it. Make disciples. We're not supposed to get wildly involved in social movements and causes. Though if there is some cause in which Christians can help improve society, great. That's not why we exist. The church doesn't exist to do good deeds, though good deeds are good. The local church doesn't exist to do mission work, though mission work is good. The church doesn't exist to help people be moral and live better lives, though if you're a Christian, you will live a better life and be moral. The local church certainly does not exist to entertain people, period. The local church does not exist to give people spiritual experiences. People are seeking spiritual experiences in all kinds of strange New Age and Eastern religions. And we're certainly not in existence to put a positive spin on life. You know, life's hard. Jesus will make life less hard. That's not true. Sometimes He makes it harder. We exist to do this one thing, and it's make disciples of Jesus Christ. A disciple is simply a learner, a follower. I have a nephew who is um, graduate high school, and he is... Um, going to be a pipe fitter. His dad's a pipe fitter. He's going to be a pipe fitter. So during the day, he's out on the job 
with, you know, a master pipe fitter and he's an apprentice and he gets shown how to do the pipe fitting in these industrial environments. And then at nighttime, he goes to school and he has to do the bookwork to be a pipe fitter. He's, he's being taught, he's being shown a way of life. So when, when Christ calls you and I into his kingdom, he's calling you and I to, to grow up in him. Okay, And then as we're growing up in him, help other people learn his way and grow up in him. So I want to surrender to this Jesus and help other people surrender to this Jesus because this Jesus is going to come back someday and he is going to welcome in those who have been following him and he's going to cast out into eternal darkness those who have not been following him. So if I really love this Christ and what he's done for me on his cross, I'm going to be growing up in his way. And if I love the way he loves, I'm going to care that there are other people who are dying and they're under the domain of his enemy, Satan, and they're going to go to hell. And I don't want that. So I am being a disciple and I'm making disciples, period. And it's not a work I can do on my own. It's, it's the work of the Spirit in me, and it's the work of the Spirit through me and through you to preach the gospel and to see the Spirit of God awaken in others that which was not there as the gospel's preached in Christ's presence falls on every man and woman and boy and girl. So that takes us to the next part in this verse. Jesus says, when you make disciples of all nations, you should baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So to be baptized into a name is to be baptized into a life. When you and I you know, underwent our baptism, I was very young when I was baptized, but when I was baptized, I didn't just get to carry a label. Ooh, Jesus, that's his chosen religion. That's not the case. When I was baptized into the name of Jesus, I was baptized, the Scriptures say, into the very life of Jesus, which is to say the very power of Jesus. The Apostle Paul says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So there's that beautiful reality in the Scriptures that if you're a Christian, Jesus hasn't given you salvation. He's given you Himself. You've become one with the body of Christ. You're unified with Him and your life is in Him. So that's really big theology, I think. That's really powerful that God has woven me into his own body in Jesus, and I'm growing up into Christ to become like Christ, restored image of God on me. And as I have a restored image of God on me, God is restoring the image of himself into all my other brothers and sisters all over the globe and where I live locally. That, that, is, that is what we're about. That is what the local church does. How do, we, how do we follow Jesus together and make disciples then like that? How do, we, how do we do that? Here's what I think the New Testament teaches, okay? And I'm putting it in four categories. This is how I've always kind of seen it, and I feel like it's helpful for me to have categories and subcategories. Maybe your brain doesn't work like that. My brain works like that on things. Here's the four things that I think it means for us as Christians to be disciples make disciples, Okay? If we're going to follow Jesus together, which that's our overarching motto as a church, we are then, these four things, we're a Christ-centered community that's word-saturated, prayer-dependent, and gospel-proclaiming. I think if you had to boil the New Testament down into four categories, I think you would end up saying, okay, Christians are in a Christ-centered community that's word-saturated, prayer-dependent, and gospel-proclaiming. 
a Christ-centered community because amongst our diversity of persons, that's not just skin color, it's personality, it's, you know, economic status, it's, it's God's taken all these really different people from all over the place that never would have interacted otherwise, and he's made them this really weird, unique family. All right? Some of us are weird. All right? And that's awesome. Some of us are different, and we're all different in our own way, and we all have quirks. But Jesus' cross is full of the supernatural love of God, and he takes people who would otherwise hate each other, and he makes them love one another. And it's really weird. And Jesus says, when all of y'all who are so different, you get baptized into the same body, you become this really awesome family, and when you become this really awesome family, it says the world will know your mind. You've got to be in Christ-centered community because the Bible says we have to counsel one another. We have to correct one another. We have to confess sin to one another. We have to take up one another's burdens and hardships, the Bible tells us. We have to encourage and edify one another. We have to fight for unity and holiness together. You can't successfully be a disciple of Jesus and not be meaningfully connected into Christ-centered community. It's a New Testament impossibility. And we don't like that today. We like our individualism, right, as 21st century Americans, right? Community with people over the long haul is messy and it's hard because people are messy and hard. Um, I think about COVID and how COVID really put the fast track on virtual community, right? Like it's so normal um, to, to, you know, log on. I mean, whether it's, you know, friends or a multi-million dollar corporation, and let's just not even get in the same room, let's just talk about things from a distance. And that's normalizing something that I think can never be normalized for the local church. There's no substitute for being with one another. There's no substitute for that. There's no substitute for, for locking arms with your brothers and sisters and building them up as you're built up. The internet can never give you that. And so I think you and I have to really want that one because it's going to be easy to kind of blend into a culture that doesn't value being physically together. But again, I would say to you, Lone Ranger Christianity, it can't work. It doesn't work. If we're a Christ-centered community, meaning Jesus is at the center and, and we're all treating one another the way that we're seeing him treat us, we're going to necessarily next be uh, word-saturated, word-saturated. And what we mean by that is simply this. When Jesus was getting ready to be crucified and ascend, he said to his apostles, what? He said, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to remind you of everything I taught you, right? So here we are 2,000 years later, and you and I still have what Jesus taught because he gave it to the apostles, who gave it to their disciples, who gave it to their disciples. And God's been good for 2,000 years to keep us in his word. What did Jesus say when Satan tempted him? He said that man lives by the word of God, right? The scriptures teach us that, this, that the word of God for our, our hearts, it's food, it's drink. The psalmist says, I store it up in my heart so I don't sin against God. The Bible teaches us that we should regularly memorize and meditate on God's word so that we're spiritually renewed in it. How are you even going to know what to have a conviction on if you don't know what it means to be a Christian how are you going to know how to be guarded from false teachers or from a culture that says you should compromise on some of the things you believe because we don't like it? Give up some things. Can't you compromise on some things? 
Friends, the Word of God is at the very center of what defines our community. And you and I have to be okay with being labeled old-fashioned or upside-down or whatever to just say, hey, guess what? I'm not a Christian because there's 50,000 versions of a Christian out there. I'm a good old-fashioned Bible-believing Christian. The Bible goes the way that it's been interpreted by the Orthodox Church for the last 2,000 years. I'm putting my feet down there, and that's what defines our community. We're necessarily people of the Word. And if we're people of the Word, we're next, we're prayer-dependent. Because I look at the Word of God, and I see the perfections of Jesus, and I say, whoa! I do not look like that. And my church does not look like that. God, we need your help. Lord, I'm, I'm praying your word in accordance with your will because when I pray, it's not about me getting what I want. God, it's about you reshaping my heart into who you are. And if we're going to last as Christians and we're going to obey the Great Commission to make disciples, I'm going to really need a supernatural wisdom and power that I don't have. And so are you. So we have to be, as we see it um, you know, all throughout the Old Te- New Testament in the life of Jesus, if Jesus needed to pray to have an effective ministry, don't you think that you and I would need to have a effective, vibrant prayer life. Think about when Jesus gets up early to pray and the disciples come. They say, hey, Jesus, everybody's waiting for you to come. They want to see you do miracles again. All these people want to be healed. And Jesus says, no, that's not what I came to do. Jesus says, it's time to go into the next town. I came to preach the gospel. So without prayer, you and I are just out of alignment about who we are. The Spirit uh, emboldens us, fortifies us in prayer. You have to be a praying people. And I think it's one of the most devilish tricks of Satan today It's to get Christians and churches to think we've got to do more. If I do more, do more, do more, we can accomplish more. And it's God's upside down wisdom. You actually can't do anything for God. It's when we stop doing and we get on our knees and pray, God brings revival. You could have the biggest, fanciest, flashiest church, but you just might find your church is built on sand. It's not built on the rock. So yes, that's go and do, but our going and our doing is nothing if it's not anointed in prayer and we ask for God to come and, and mightily and powerfully show up. I always think about Charles Spurgeon, one of the most famous preachers. You know, he, he, he you know, pastored a church that was 5,000 members strong, which for, you know, Victorian era England, that would be like 20,000 people today. It was just a blessed ministry. And someone once came to him and said, can you please tell me the success of your ministry? And he took them down into this room and he opened the door and there on their knees was a ton of people praying. Friends, the Great Commission cannot be fulfilled if you and I are not praying disciples. We've got to pray. I want in 2023, when we every last Wednesday of the month, we have a night of prayer I want to see more people come and long to be a part of that. There's, you've got nothing more important going on in life, let me promise you, than prayer. Prayer. It reveals how independent of God or dependent on God we believe we are. Can I say that to you? Last thing, if, if we're a Christ-centered community that's word-saturated, that's prayer-dependent, we're also going to be gospel-proclaiming. Gospel proclaiming. Jesus told us to go and to preach the gospel. He told us to go and make disciples. And the work of being and making disciples, it starts with you and I, because you and I have to sharpen one another and encourage one another, and none of us are finished products when we come to Christ. We're not finished products 50 years after we come to Christ, right? So we've got to be growing, but we've also got to let our community, if it really is supernatural, if it really is full of Jesus, it's got to spill over into the world around us. 
It's got to be proclaimed. It's got to be shown in love. We have got to be an effective vessel for God to break through the darkness and expose His light to you know, our city, our town, our nation, and the whole world. And I think that's challenging because it's really fun, isn't it, to be insular. You know, it's us four, no more. Like, we have our routines during the week. We have our events, and it's just us. But that's, not in, that's really convenient, right? That's not uncomfortable to step out and to proclaim the gospel and to risk persecution, to risk being made fun of, to step outside of my flesh and obey the Spirit. But necessarily, it's what disciples do. It's what disciples do. All those things together, um, how, how does that play out for us at Providence? I mean, how, how do I and the elders plan on leading in that direction? I just kind of want to talk about those few things. I know this is like so much information, and I'm sorry. You can go back and listen to it, but I just think there's just a lot of things that I want to say. The first way that we accomplish all that is just like this. Just like this. Valuing for the long haul Worshiping on the Lord's Day. Worshiping on Sunday, the day that Christ was resurrected. Again, not to pin everything on COVID, but what has been greatly normalized is the idea that church is this thing that can be watched. Like somehow being in my boxers with a t-shirt and like chips all over myself and a lazy boy, like watching some dude talk on TV, that's church. And it's not. It's not. Church is the definition of the word, you know, the assembled ones. If we're going to be the church, we have to be assembled. We have to be in the same room in worship and spirit and truth. Because here, what are we doing? We're worshiping God. We're singing the word, right? That's how we're taught the word. I'm preaching it. The spirit's doing a supernatural thing right now. I'm teaching it to you. We're praying together and we pray in our liturgy throughout the songs. We're encouraging one another to go out this week and to proclaim Christ. So we're, we're doing all the things that need to be done right here on Sunday. So please detach yourself from even current mentality in church life in 21st century America and don't think that Sunday is dispensable. Because it's not. Don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, the Hebrew writer says. Deeply value and long for Sunday gathering. And, and let me say this as, a, as a, 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 just a footnote. I think back to like my childhood. I think back to my childhood. And I just remember like we would be at church like Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And it wasn't a thing. Like everybody did that. And you can probably, you know, if you're my age or, you know, what or older, you can remember that as well. It just, you just did it. You just with God's people. That's the way it just happened. And so I think of all the things you could poke on or say what the church did wrong 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, you got to look back and say that the church in decades past in America had a commitment caliber that we're kind of losing today. We're trying to minimize how often we get together. And so again, we can't be responsible for all the churches out there, but we can be responsible for us right here. So let us not fail to neglect to meet together. Next thing I want to say, I promise I only have a couple is family worship. I mean, I think you know that if you're at Providence, we believe in family worship. Um, I grew up in an environment where, yes, we read the Bible some at home, and yes, those things were taught somewhat, but mostly that was kind of um, given to the local church. I assumed my kids were just learning what they were supposed to learn at church. It doesn't work. I went to a small Christian school, all right? And I've said this before, and parents who didn't know how to raise their kids they would just drop them off at the front door of the Christian school and surely they'll become Christians and good citizens of society and they were always the first ones to get kicked out with sex and drugs and whatever else. It doesn't work. 
It doesn't work. Family worship is so critical. Martin Luther put it this way, your home is your first church. And dads especially, if you don't take the lead in discipling and raising your children, there's a whole world out there that's willing to do it. Public schools are willing to do it. Government's willing to do it. The TV's willing to do it. Music's willing to do it. You have got to say, my home is the first church where we open God's Word every day. We worship with song. We pray. Yes, there's those unexpected moments. You know, your kids get in a fight in the back seat. And it's like, okay, teaching moment. Jesus doesn't want us to punch each other. Like, there's those things. But, but there's a difference when a child grows up in a home where on a regular basis, dad would say, hey, no, we're not watching TV tonight. Open, everybody come here. We're opening the Bible and we're just going to sit in the scriptures together and we're going to sing some songs. That will do spiritual formation for your child in a way that 10,000 years of Sunday school never could. Now that being said, I'm so grateful that we have a Sunday school component because what can that do for you? That can supplement and build up what you, dad, must be doing at home in spiritually leading your wife and your children. Just don't get those two things flip-flopped, right? So family worship's always going to be a value here. And again, if you're a guest today, or even if you've been here, maybe you didn't hear me say it, we have a ton of family worship resources out there, how to do it, different ideas for how to do family worship. So don't let the question mark of how do you do family worship stop, stop you from doing it. That's always going to be valuable. Okay, oh, two things. I just got two things, two things, okay? Second to last thing, and this one is probably the thing I want to talk about the most, and that's discipleship groups, discipleship groups. So when we started, or I started here four years ago, it's hard to believe it was that long ago, um, there, was just a, there was just a few families, just a few, like a few little families, and we were just happily meeting together, just living on prayer and didn't know what we were doing, you know, just like, all right, here we are. And that was great because we can meet on a regular basis at that little building we're meeting. And it was, it, was, it was great because we could obey the New Testament command to meet with brothers and sisters and do kind of on a micro level what we're doing on Sunday at a macro level, right? Because it's not enough to just hear sermons. You need to be able to study the Bible with brothers and sisters. Hey, what's sin going on in your life? What do you need to repent of? How can I encourage you? Encourage one another in evangelism. That was great. A few things happened. One, again, I'm going to blame COVID for that. We lost a lot of that moment with COVID. Two, we changed buildings. This building's uh, a lot bigger. Three, and this is not a bad thing, we have at this church obeyed the command to be fruitful and multiply. Um, we have more children than we have adults. Now, I don't know about you, it's really hard to sit down with brothers and sisters and go deep in the Word of God when you've got toddlers like biting at your ankles for more goldfish or to tattle telling somebody. It's really hard. It's really hard. And so I think that's been a huge question mark for us. Of, okay, we need to recover that. How do we do that well? So just kind of talking, praying through that with the elders. Here's what we really want to do this fall for our discipleship groups on Wednesday nights. What we want to do um, is, is break guys and girls up. Um, that way, uh, one, men can talk about things that men need to talk about, can talk about, and women can talk about separately. Um, and at the same time, we can kind of rotate children around a little bit. So ideally, um, if men, you're at my house and we're studying, that's great. That week, maybe the ladies have the kids and y'all can still meet. There's a playground here. There's an indoor playground here. And we're just fellowshipping and it's not as big of a deal if we don't, we're not trying to get through a passage of Scripture. The next week, flip it. The ladies, you all can meet in someone's home. 
and there's no kids biting your ankles, crying, diaper changes. Um, and guys, we can meet at a park or meet here and have kids and just talk about things. So is it going to be like that forever? I don't know, but we can't wait around till we have a better situation to figure out how to be in one another's lives well. So we're planning on teaching through Colossians um, this semester. So, um, you know, the elders will rotate and kind of teaching that, but we'll also have, um, you know, question time, prayer time. How can we grow in evangelism time? And the ladies will be doing the same thing, and Rebecca and Jessica will kind of lead in teaching through some of that um, as well. So with that being said, I do want us to meet in homes, and here's why. One, it's really good to learn hospitality. Hospitality is very much so a New Testament biblical concept. And I know um, if you're like extroverted or introverted, you think differently on having people in your home. Some of us think, I can never have anyone in my home unless it's like immaculate, clean, good enough for the president to show up. As someone that I like has said, hey, let the dust balls fly. All right. It just may be that it's Bible study night and you didn't have time to clean your house and they're going to see some fruit loops under your kitchen table or whatever. That's okay because that's real life. So I really want us to be in one another's homes and study the Bible and grow together. Um, so we'll, I'll have a sign-up list for maybe you would like to host this semester, you know, one time. It doesn't have to be at your house every time, but it kind of frees the same one, two people up from having to host, you know, like every week. So that's how we're tackling it. Um, I'm asking you just as your pastor and on behalf of the elders to take that serious. Um, Not this coming Wednesday, but next Wednesday, um, we're going to begin to meet like that. Men, we're going to meet in my house first. We're going to do Colossians and the ladies, y'all can still meet and will meet. And just again, the focus there is not how much Bible can we study while trying to juggle our babies Um, but just to spend time together, which is valuable. And so it's just a rhythm we're going to try for the fall. I really, 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 really want you to dive into that and make the sacrifices you need to make to be there on Wednesdays. I believe we need that kind of discipling as much as we need Sunday morning discipleship, okay? Now, you may say, I appreciate that, but I absolutely cannot make that work in my schedule. Okay, I would encourage you, still find someone at Providence you could be in a discipling relationship with at some point. If it's like, there's no way that I can make that work on a Wednesday night because of my work schedule or whatever. Okay, don't deprive yourself of discipleship. You need to be walking with someone in the Word and being challenged. So if that's the case, fine. But I really just want to challenge you to value um, small microcosm discipleship this semester with brothers and sisters here at Providence. I believe it's valuable. Um, and we used to be good at it. I think one of the, should be one of the great uh, strong points of being at a small church is we have really strong community. We really know one another well. You know, and again, I've grown up in churches of all shapes and sizes, and maybe you have too. Um, but I think the, the beauty of being at a church our size is you can really know one another well and really take care of one another well and grow with one another. So that's one of my big pleas um, in, in this whole sermon is Wednesday night discipleship groups um, this semester. Okay, next and last thing here, um, local and foreign missions. Um, Kate, um, Kate has, for the last couple of years, done an incredible job of finding really great events, things for us to connect with, 
um, both just to serve at, to give money to, um, like the baby bottle thing we're doing for the pregnancy center. I'm so grateful for her. And so we're going to keep finding things locally that we can give our service to, things that we can go and, um, you know, just be a presence at, things that we can just financially support that are for the sake of the kingdom. Um, you know, we used to do, I know COVID comes up a lot. We used to do um, evangelism in the park quite regularly before COVID. Of course, COVID kills that. So, um, you know, Richard and I are talking again about what are some things we can do to begin sharing the gospel on a regular basis um, in our community. Um, and then possibly we're, we're talking about maybe a, a mission trip um, back to Mexico um, this year. So we're still kind of seeing those things, what will happen. So all that to say... This is, this is who we are as a church. This is how we're following Jesus, okay? We're, we're a Christ-centered community that's word-saturated, prayer-dependent, gospel-proclaiming. Um, and there is nothing more important than pursuing Christ together. Going just to the end of that passage in um, Matthew, Jesus says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If Jesus didn't say that, I would be really worried and nervous. I would be like, I don't know. I don't know. But this is the amazing thing about the last thing Jesus says to us before he ascends. I am with you. Is that not powerful? That Jesus tells us he is with us. Jesus is working in and through all things to fulfill his purpose to establish his kingdom through the local church. That means we can run full force and not wonder, like, I don't know, is this going to work out? I don't know. I don't know. What if? What if? We don't have to play the what if game. Because Jesus says, I am with you. I am with you to the end of the age. Jesus will establish his kingdom. So, friends, you and I can follow Jesus together. Amen. All right, well, I love you. I'm grateful to be your pastor. I really am excited about this year. I'm excited about um, the future. I hope you are too. And if you have any thoughts or questions on anything I've said, um, please feel free to, to reach out to me, okay? All right, I love you. Let's pray together and we'll worship the Lord. Father, we, um, we want to come to your word Fearful, not in the sense of being afraid of judgment, but fearful of knowing just how serious it is, just what a privilege it is to read your word that is, um, in a lot of ways, a letter to us, that as your followers, you're telling us who we are, you're telling us what we should do, you're making us promises about how much you love us and will keep us and will provide for us. But I pray that we would not look to the right or to the left, but the cross of Christ would be before us and we would together lock arms and pursue you. And Lord, that in all things, you would have the victory in us. God, that you would grow us as a church. You would bring along more people that need to be grown here. That, Lord, the gospel would pour over into the life of um, so many that need to hear uh, the saving words of Jesus. So, Lord, this is our prayer. This is our desire. So we just ask for grace upon grace, Lord. Just know that you're with us. We love you, Jesus. Father, we give you all the glory. It's in Christ's name that we pray.